Conrad, I have a question for you. Shoot. What is a fair price for Windows? Well, I are we talking about Microsoft Windows or are we talking about things that you open and close? We're talking about those transparent glass panes that allow light to shine through. So I had a very interesting lesson about branding and price recently with Windows. Anderson Windows that we had to replace, $15,000. If I went to Lowe's and got... I can't even remember the name of what we actually did purchase. There you go. It was $5,000. So there is the value of a brand as taught to you by the window industry. Right. And um, you know, we're going to talk about that today with our really awesome guest. We already recorded that segment, but really, I think one of the best segments we've ever done. So strap in, folks. This is going to be a good one. Do you want to share who the guest is or are you just teasing everyone? Uh, you know, that's another thing. You've been really big on the tease word in this episode. Yeah, we'll see. So, so watch it. See how Guy avoided the question again? Well played. Like a great politician, Guy has avoided the question. So today we're going to, as usual, touch on the news. We have more, 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 more Google stuff in the news. But after the news, we have a great guest. My first guest since I've been on Lunch Hour Legal Marketing George Saharis, yeah, you're, true story. You're totally, you just threw shade at our good friend Jared Korea. He's more of a friend than a guest. Yeah. Oh, like, I see. Well, I think yeah. I think George is a friend. Wow, too. I'm I am blowing this every which way. <laughs> Please tune in next week as Conrad torches all of his carefully built relationships live on air. George Saharis from Clio joining us to go over the legal trends report and actually dig deeper into things like pricing. For lawyers, what makes the world go round? Money makes round. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors, Alert Communications, LexisNexis Interaction, Clio, and Laya. Now let's do some news. First off in the news, Guy and Conrad are fielding tons of emails sent to our clients. We call these FUD emails about the Core Web Vitals that is rolling out starting as we're recording it yesterday. So the Core Web Vitals is rolling out, very heavily focused on mobile, and lawyers around the country are receiving emails from SEO vendors telling them that the sky is falling. Guy, is the sky falling for your clients? The sky is not falling, and uh, you know this is the game, right? Algorithm fear, core update, experience update, core web vitals updates. This is the stuff that our good marketing industry uses to get people to get scared and then sell them the fix. Guy, would you recommend anyone listening today to switch vendors because they have received a video email from an SEO telling them how the world is falling apart tomorrow? Well, probably not, but I, you know, I always like to play I like devil's the probably. advocate. Well, I always like to play devil's advocate because, you know, again, it's overhyped, but 
if your site is loading really slowly and you get an email that's like showing your page speed score or you're, you know, you've got some kind of testing of your site that's showing that your site's loading really slowly. Like, yeah, you should be having those conversations. It's just, guess what? You're going to fix that page speed thing and your site's not going to rank any better. <laughs> right. But people that show up on your site, it's going to, you're going to better user experience. You're going to convert more leads, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think the big thing here is, is like, it's one of those things, be aware of it, make sure your folks are on it, but switching vendors because uh, you got a page speed score that you're not happy with, or someone sends you an email, like again, buyer beware. If you, if you buy something because you saw a Facebook ad that said the sky's falling and they're going to get you from zero to 2 million in six months, like shame <laughs> oh, on you. Oh, are you talking about anyone specifically? Nope. <laughs> Come on. I'm not. I am on a quest to get Guy to name a life competitor. I don't name names. On air. Nope. Yeah, you're too nice. Positive. Okay. Positive. So this is supposed to be our news section as opposed to our torch the industry section. Right. So the next piece of news, it was interesting. I found Moz, the early, early Seattle-based SEO company led by the quirky Rand Fishkin, who was then slightly pushed out. Moz was acquired by iContact. So that's, that's big M&A activity in the SEO world and continues our theme of consolidation. The other thing that we should bring up, Guy, can you talk about the Google Search Console Insights that has recently launched? Yeah, so uh, if you check out, I know uh, Barry at Search Engine Roundtable covered this and I've seen it floating around. And we actually, I got some emails too because I clicked into it, but... Essentially, they had this insights feature, which you know breaks down some uh, key metrics from Search Console, like your top performing pages and the type of queries. It's, it's really just a reformatting of data that's already in Search Console for the most part, from what I can tell. But you know, if you're looking for the free version of some insights from Search Console, uh, something worth checking out. All right, before we bring on our good friend George Saharis, we're gonna pay some bills. No one cites routine drafting as the reason they chose to become a lawyer, but that's where a lot of time goes for solo practitioners and small firms. LawYaw can help you transform your existing Word documents into reusable templates with no coding required. Save time and avoid errors with intuitive features like conditional logic. Use a tool that empowers your experience and expertise. Learn more at LawYaw.com. That's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866 827 5568 or visit alertcommunications.com forward slash LTN. Welcome back, everyone. Now it is time for the Legal Trends Report Minute, brought to you by our very good friends at Clio. And we've got someone from Clio in two minutes. So stick with us. Hey, Guy. Did you know that 58% of your clients want their lawyers to use more technology? I had a hunch. This is thematic, right? We've kind of been going down this like we need more technology. We're going to get deeper into this. 
So according to industry data, in the past year, 52% of clients say they use more types of technology than ever. Not a shocker, especially when their kids are uh, Zooming to school, as mine are. And 50% say they've become even more comfortable with that technology. Half of people want to meet through video conferencing and handle their documents electronically. And, you know, we've talked about this before. This is probably the third or fourth round on this theme. But the law firms that don't adapt to the shifting needs of their clients, they're falling behind. We see this. And this is why we're super happy to have George joining us. So to learn more about what clients today are looking for and much more, download Cleo's Legal Trends Report for free at cleo.com slash trends. That's Cleo spelled C-L-I-O. Yes, and I would like to formally welcome George Saharis, who is a fellow Greek and also a fellow two-consonant last name starter to the show today. George, thank you so much for joining us. Conrad and I are regularly fanning out over the Legal Trends Report data, and so we have to say thanks to you, who are, if not the creator of, certainly highly influential in the production of the Legal Trends Report. So thanks, George, for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Guy. Uh, pleasure to join you. And yeah, I think when we first got started with the Legal Trends Report, I was certainly kind of one of the the folks that first thought through how we wanted to do this kind of work and publish to the profession. But to be fair, since then, we've got lots of uh, incredible, intelligent folks over at Clio who are doing the heavy lifting these days. And I, I do get a lot of, likewise, nerdy fun, uh, as you guys do, out of both uh, influencing, but also learning from the analysis and work they do and finding ways to communicate it to the profession. Thanks to all uh, Cleons involved in producing and publishing the Leo Trends yes. Report. And um, in other important news, how do we get one of those awesome Clio hoodies? Because <laughs> I want one. I'm not kidding. You don't have to answer, though. Are you begging for swag in public? <laughs> yeah, I mean... You kind of got to work for Clio for this one. This that's one what, I, that's what a, I thought. Yeah, hunch. I haven't seen got, those floating around. You, you can't see it on my uh, left sleeve here, but it's also got my name on it because it's uh, you get one as being a part of the team and uh, it comes embroidered with your name. So pretty cool. And uh, I'll, you know, if I see any jobs that, uh, that fit the bill, <laughs> gee, maybe I'll, uh, I'll pass them along. But that's your best bet. Appreciate that, George. I had a hunch that was the case. And, you know, another awesome testament to the awesome culture that uh, you guys have over there at Clio. So let's dive in. And, you know, we're lunch hour legal marketing. So we like to talk about marketing, especially for lawyers. And um, I think the starting point, and I listened to your conversation with Jack on Daily Matters, which I encourage folks to check that out too. Really good stuff. But you know, one of the things that Conrad and I are always talking about, and, and we always say things like, you know, your whole marketing plan is really right there in the Legal Trends Report because it's telling you what the pain points are for consumers. But to hear it from the top, from the man, what makes a lawyer hireable according to the data in the Legal Trends Report? Such a great and important question. And probably the place where I have a few of the more dynamic conversations with folks in the legal industry that's... Uh, among the many conversations I get to have, but I think it's actually pretty simple at the end of the day. Not easy, but simple. And I try to make sure that we don't overcomplicate the thoughts. So we do a lot of surveying work where we go and talk to clients, we go and talk to lawyers, and we compare uh, their expectations in the process. And there are some surprises in there. The big ones are, for me, as follows. One, respond. 
The single most important thing any law firm... I know that sounds a little this is, obvious. Again, this falls into the not surprising, but not simple, right? But not simple. Like, right. if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. But one of the challenges of the profession, especially in a fragmented profession like we have, where 50% of people are solos, 80% of people are working in firms of one to 10 people, they don't have armies of sales and service folks who are waiting for your call. And yet that is the same service experience that folks expect. So one of our uh, data points from previous legal trends reports has been in kind of doing a, a, a test of about a thousand firms, 60% of client inquiries went unanswered at all. So step one to making yourself hireable is the person who's going to call them back uh, or email them back or respond, uh, period. And the fastest one to do so has the best bet at being hireable. You go all this length of SEO, SEM spend, shelling out marketing dollars across the board and to lose them at that last mile before you've had a, an at-bat, so to speak, at all at deciding whether or not the client is a fit for you it's painful, <laughs> but it continues to be one of the biggest hireability concerns in, in legal. So, hey, George, I want to ask you a question on this. So, like, the three of us are very tech-leaning. At least you two are. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of conversation about marketing automation and process yep. and simplifying things and taking your hands off it and... How much of this responsiveness, because you're right, it's key. It, and again, not shocking, but not easy. How much of this do you think can be solved alone with technology? Or how much of this do you see technology as being the assist? Yeah. Look, technology is always a means to an end. And one of the other things that we find that's surprising in our research is when people are in a moment of crisis, and of course it varies by the, the legal practice area, it varies by the circumstance, but when people are kind of freaking out and looking for help, there's still this draw toward talking to another human, like this empathy factor in our yes. research that shows like, if I'm losing my mind, somebody's got to listen. And so what I find that's interesting is not all of the interaction points in a client journey that you can create, including intake are always amenable. It's not kind of like a one size fits all for when it should be a human interaction point and when it can be an automated one. But right. the secret sauce is automate the stuff that can be automated so that you spend your time in the high value interactions. And a quick example of previous research where those have jumped out. Number one is when I need to spill my guts about what's going on. I don't want to talk to anybody but the person who's going to help me and like whether it's through Zoom or in person, see their eyes as... <laughs> You don't think like, the chatbot's going to help pain. you there? <laughs> but if I'm like submitting data points that need to go into a form and get automated, like, yeah, I, I get that I can do that with a, a chatbot or an automated technology piece and that that can be made way easier and faster. Uh, hey, like we're going to get you in touch with a person. But before we do that, fill out a few simple data points and that's going to help us route you to the best person to help you or to just serve you in the best possible way. That's still a response. And what the technology can do for you is also set expectations that you follow up on hey, if you haven't heard from me right away, don't lose your mind. And that can happen at intake or it can happen when you're serving the client down the line. It's normal for you to not hear from me for a couple of days because other stuff is going on. If it's an emergency, you'll hear from me. There's this act of setting and meeting expectations where technology and automation can do that, set the bar. Of course, it then puts you on the clock to follow up on and meet that promise. But it's so different from just what typically happens in the service experience, which is nothing. Like I have no idea what's going on. So I'm either going to freak out, I'm going to be highly disruptive to you in your practice at various stages of the client journey. And on the flip side, these all to me present really, really important opportunities to provide better service, but also in doing so become much more hireable. 
The hireability piece for me is like, yeah, we're, we're, the responsiveness is the first step toward what you can expect in working with us. And it's not actually going to be everything you ever wanted. It's going to be me setting clear expectations and then meeting them as the most important piece. And that's that's where a lot of the hireability research and, and stuff comes back to. And, and to go back to your question, Conrad, I think there's such an important role for automation technology to play to optimize and to make way better the experiences, but not to disintermediate the human connection that's going to happen between someone who's like, I need help yeah. <laughs> and someone who is going to help them, right? No, I think a lot of lawyers look at marketing automation as taking a lot of time away from them, right? And it's it's actually taking the useless time away from them, which is good, exactly. but it gives you more time to spend with the high value. Yeah, and I think the other thing that George said that I think is really, really important because it comes up all the time when you're talking to lawyers about automation is they hear automation and they forget about the empathy human part of it. And so, you know, as George mentioned, I think you articulated really well, it's the expectation setting and that stuff, we recognize that lawyers are busy. And so as long as we're setting those expectations and then you know making the promise and then keeping the promise, people are gonna give you the benefit of the doubt, right? If someone submits a form on your site at 12 o'clock at night and you have an autoresponder that says, hey, we received it and we're gonna follow up with you at you know nine o'clock tomorrow morning, something like that, people get that. And, um, yeah. and, and that's the thing that's so important to them because lawyers, they hear automation and they think, oh, not authentic, and my clients expect to hear from me. But it's a balance, it's a blend there, and I think that that's a really, really uh, eloquent way of articulating that. And, and also to know that it's not a complete substitute, right? You know, there are there are points in the process you've got to be the lawyer, the person that comes there and, and is the expert that's an empathetic ear that's listening in one of the yep. you know, your clients' hardest times in their life. Yep. So I want to switch up. Going back to the Legal Trends Report, the thing that I found most surprisingly dissonant in the Legal Trends Report was price. And Guy and I talked about this before. We have never talked price. I don't talk price to my lawyers much, and yet it is one of the foundational P's of marketing. So I'm, I'm just going to read these pieces because this is a very, very it's dissonant in terms of what consumers want and what lawyers think they want. You guys had 12 items that you ranked in terms of lawyer hireability, and you had consumers and lawyers rank them. Lawyers ranked price as number nine out of 12 in terms of importance. Consumers had it as number two. Guy, how frequently do you talk to your clients about aggressively talking about price, either in their materials or in their conversations? So the place that comes up for us is in competitive analysis, right? So if we're running ads and you're positioning against somebody that, you know, from the consumer standpoint, it appears to be the same service, you know, you're a bankruptcy lawyer and you're running ads and another bankruptcy lawyer is often $500 bankruptcy and you're a $5,000 bankruptcy, right. we bring it up. But, but again, you know, price is tricky, as I'm sure we're going to talk about, because it goes to the business metrics, the value of your expertise, the perception, positioning, all that marketing gobbledygook that you got to decide. And at the end of the day, it's, you got to command a price that's competitive, but also works for your business. George, what do you talk to lawyers about with regards to price? I'm really curious about this because it feels like a big missing piece in the marketing conversation. Oh, absolutely massive. And such an area I'm excited to continue doing research but usually the conversation starts with what in the behavioral psychology world we'd call a psychological threat response, i.e. somebody losing their mind, talking about why their time has value and why they're really important. I'm like, yep, all true. 
let's calm down from that and <laughs> and let's get into the specifics of, of thinking more like a you know a social scientist and getting into economics a little bit and the places I spend time both unpacking the insights we've collected but also trying to make them practical this is the other thing right it's one thing to get a high level insight consumers value price it's another thing to be like what am I doing when I get back to my desk on Monday <laughs> you know like what, what do I do with this so a lot of time I spend working with with lawyers, with with firms, even with non-lawyer uh, operation staff at firms who have questions about these areas. I try to unbundle the thought of price as one rolled up thing. So when I talk to a typical lawyer about price, they're thinking about the whole shabam, like the, the whole like soup to nuts, how much is it gonna cost for a case? And their thought process goes to hourly, uncapped, flat fee, and then where appropriate contingency fee billing is examples, and then, oh, what other alternative fee arrangements exist? But the thing I like to get really curious about is when consumers say price, are they talking about just the overall price or the affordability and approachability of working with a law firm and knowing what that's going to look like, or even the flexibility? So there are ways of making price more manageable for your clients without just knowing how you position yourself in the market and even commoditizing your rates in ways that I know a lot of lawyers are really worried about and are worried that can't work. Let's use a couple of abstract examples. When you buy a house, you're not buying the whole thing and thinking to yourself, total cost of ownership of this house is some amount that I'm literally never going to afford, so I'm walking away, which I think happens is one of the main reasons we don't see people activating CTAs on law firm websites. I have pain, I have a problem, I need help. I have no idea how much it's going to cost. And it gives me a reason to go back to no decision. Ah, I'm not going to do it right now. Right. Uh, I'm not going to you know, click the link and, and get started. So the thing I encourage firms to think about is, number one, packaging. Don't go one size fits all with the offerings you have on your site and try to you know, offer flexible ways to package your services. And the second piece is the flexibility. So things like payment plans, yes, right. the thing's going to cost a certain level, but like, like you buy a car, like you buy a house, like you make most of your major, major financial commitments. Are there ways to realize that someone might not have the total cost of ownership of working with a lawyer or a case sitting around, but is willing to get started and could be a very successful and lucrative client for you if you're simply more flexible in the offerings you put in front of them and the way that you you know package uh, your services uh, and in the way that you position yourself within the market. And I think that's a really untapped area that doesn't always land in a race to the bottom. I think people think about price and consumer feedback and they're instantly thinking about, oh, well, we're going to be charging legal Zoom rates in no time uh, and that's that's what's going to happen. I don't think so. People are going above and beyond to get access to a human and, and empathy as we discussed, but maybe not in the one size fits all approach of like, it's going to be by the hour and I have no idea how long it's going to take. <laughs> right. It, well, and to a certain extent too, I mean, at the end of the day, the market determines a lot of this, right? So Does, the expectations yeah. of legal services consumers, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that when we do user research, they never contact the firm if there's not some level of transparency in the pricing. Exactly. And, and so you and so you gotta you gotta bake that in into your opportunity costs there in terms of balancing how you're going to talk about price, what the price is gonna be, and deciding to publish pricing or or communicated on a, on a phone. But, you know, from the Legal Trends report, you know, 73% of firms, no information provided on rates None. Um, yeah. and fees. 42% and don't even discuss low. it by phone before <laughs> until they actually have a consultation. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It'll, it'll vary by practice area, but yeah, I agree, Conrad. I think in some practice areas, you'll find it be even, even higher than that. Yeah. I think 
there is a level of suspicion in the same way that lawyers get suspicious about talking to SEO people, right? Like what's your budget? <laughs> like we want to have that conversation first. It's price can be looked at as a sizing up the, the, the prospect, which is unfortunate. It's also inaccurate. Or buying windows. <laughs> or buying windows. Jeez. Conrad has a windows story, but we I don't did, that yeah. right now. So let me, let me go the flip side on this and we need to take a break here, but the, the, it's just something we haven't talked about, but like, when we come back after this ad break, I would like to get your thoughts, George, on using price as an indicator of quality and therefore, like, like some, one of the things that we talk to prospective clients about as, as an agency is like, we are not the cheapest option out there. And we use that as an indicator of quality. Let's go the flip side after the break to talk about price as an indicator of quality and how aggressively lawyers should lean into that. The right client relationship management solution enables and empowers firm growth. LexisNexis Interaction is designed specifically for law firms and embeds client intelligence at the heart of every interaction, providing valuable insights into client relationships so you can make strategic decisions about how to focus your resources to gain more business. Learn more and request your free demo at interaction.com slash lunch hour. And we're back. Picking up the conversation on the flip side of price, Conrad, you want to reframe for us the people that were gone from the break? Yeah, I mean one of the one of the things that so Gee, you were talking about the windows. I got two bids for replacing four windows. One was from Anderson for fifteen grand, and one was from like Lowe's for five. And the feedback I got was, "Oh, Anderson's got really good quality windows because they're so expensive, right?" And I ha- I can't look at a window and tell you whether or not it's a good window or not. And in the same way, most consumers can't look at a lawyer and tell you even after they've used the lawyer whether or not they did a good job or not. So price as an indicator of quality, how have you seen firms, I mean with this focus on price, is it a sword that cuts both ways? Well, it is. It's a positioning statement and not all services and circumstances are created equal, it goes back to the thing for me for, for flexibility and even the, the packaging that you put out there. So we're always going to have a world where law firms, you know, you get what you pay for and law firms position their services and, and how they work and lawyers with different levels of experience and specialization and expertise charge disparate prices. Like he was saying earlier, that's set by the market uh, more so than we know uh, and might be obvious to us as we're individually considering what to do with price. I think the big opportunity in legal is that your clients have no idea why you're charging the prices that you are. And we typically don't make that easy for them to understand. Let me explain what I mean. You go to one vendor, you get a quote for five grand. You go to another vendor, you get a quote for 15 grand in the window space. And they're going to put some effort into like, hey, here's, here's a product sheet or some reason why. If they're good at it, if they're expecting to actually sell, they'll, they'll start to clarify you in terms that you can understand why you want to buy this window and what the trade-off is of buying that window and so on. When we look at what clients give us feedback in the process of finding and then retaining a firm and working with a firm, it's typically that lawyers do this all day, every day. And the process that they're going through and the why something costs what it costs or takes as many hours as it does is really obvious to them. For most clients, it's the first, maybe second time they've ever done this and they have no idea what's going on. They feel like they're kind of lost and disconnected and getting bit part updates. And again, in a highly stressed, typically scenario. And so then they'll flip out about price, you know, like, well, now I feel like, why why am I paying for this? It's more coming from a place of, I don't know what's going on and I haven't gotten those expectations set and delivered. If you do that well at the beginning, say, yep, this is going to be a little bit more expensive than you might find elsewhere because... 
of the following commitments I'm going to make to you and then deliver on those, which again, isn't easy, but is I think the major innovation and breakthrough to be made, then suddenly it's, it's less about not understanding why the prices are what they are. And I think there are plenty of good reasons that folks can describe like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to charge as much, but I'm going to be more efficient in the following ways. Or there's a little bit more work for you to do as part of the process. We're not going to fill that stuff out for you. You got to fill it out for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm generalizing, but sure. I think we all get the idea that they don't all look the same. And I think there's something really, really transformative in there. Just like uh, the, the way that uh, a colleague of mine stated it to me was state your obvious. It might seem obvious to you why you're like spending time or why it's going to take so much, but like you can't underestimate how not obvious it is to the other party and that one of the first things they default to then is questioning price because they feel like they can be in control of that. They feel like they can negotiate or exert influence by selecting another law firm to advise them for whatever it is they need. So that's a big one for me. Definitely. And, and also I've got to throw in there because I always have to throw an elbow at them, but thank you state bar <laughs> regulators for making it very difficult for lawyers to be able to communicate distinctions on experience yeah. and expertise, right? Like you, you can't say anything. Can't, I can't, oh, I, I, know, can't uh, I know. objectively verifiable results, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's a very good colloquy and I don't want to overlook that, right? Like I know when I talk about this stuff, I, I get that response from lawyers a lot as well. They're like, well, my hands are kind of tied. And there's a lot <laughs> of regulation in our space and, and you know, even ethics rules that we have to abide by, totally uh, fair. Within those though, I think there are still ways to get creative or simply to be clear to help totally. set and really meet expectations with a client that are about what you offer. And to your point, less about differentiating too much about what other people offer. Here's my why, you know, my obvious of why it is what it is. I can't speak to, uh, you know, what you're going to get elsewhere type of thing. Yeah, I love that too. I love the, uh, you know, sure you're obvious. And the other thing too, that I think lawyers, we talk about this a lot too, but sometimes it's not even about positioning from an expertise standpoint. I mean, Tech competency right. can be a huge competitive advantage, right? Um, we yep. take online payments. You don't have to come into our office to sign documents. All that kind of stuff can really be strong um, and command a higher price because that efficiency you're gaining, you're going to gain, uh, you're going to pass some of that on to your clients. And so you can increase margin and um, make the experience better for the clients. Those things can command price. Yeah. Big, big plus one on the margin comment and, you know, then one of the things we're going to be curious to talk about is the big shift we're seeing in the uh, the overall workplace environment that folks are in. But could you not deal with paying the lease in that AAA downtown commercial office space and charge the same rate and have a much higher margin at the end of the day uh, in your business, right? Like other opportunities as well, where you can dabble with both passing savings along to the client or providing a, a technology-driven experience that passes those savings along to you uh, as well. Right. So let me ask you this, the big shift, right? And price and margin, like these are all things that every service business is thinking about right now. Do you think the pendulum's going to swing back? Do you think we're going to go back to the office as aggressively as we did? I mean, the funny thing is from a cost perspective, the cost of maintaining it's binary. You're either, you can't dabble in being, you, right. you don't get the, the cost savings of being in the office two days a week, right? Yep. You know, we've got very comfortable zooming around the world. Does that shift back? And if it doesn't, does that change the addressable market for lawyers? What I mean, 24 months ago, we were talking about local, 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 local. Has that changed to statewide, right? Yeah, I mean, that is the, uh, the question of the day for the next while, right? And it's crazy seeing all the different studies being spun up, including some that were looking at work from anywhere environments before uh, the pandemic happened too and seeing what insights there are that are available. 
I can share an opinion. Go. I think we're going to have to wait and see how it goes to be sure, as I think everyone's expecting. But two things for me. One, client expectations are going to drive the bus. I think that we're going to see firms have to be responsive to where their clients expect them to be. And I do think there's going to be a shift of like, no, I'm not coming downtown to hand you a check. I'm not, <laughs> you know, even go, taking the, the millennial and younger route, like I'm not going to go to the bank, get a book of checks because I don't use them for anything else. Then sign them and go downtown and pay you that way. Right. Like I think there's going to be a lot of that. And in general, in the e-commerce space, we've seen people experiment with, try and trust online buying experiences way more across the board. Those experiences are going to influence how they're going to think about working with anybody, including their their lawyer and law firm. And they're going to want a really good reason to have to meet in person. And they're going to drive the bus on that. I want to meet with you in person because I want to spill my guts on what's going on and have somebody listen and know that somebody's listening. And if you don't want to do that, that's a friction point, right? Or on the flip side, if you require me to come in for everything that's transactional and not automate in the way that we were talking about before, I don't know. I just think there's no going back and uh, that that part is going to continue to be crafted around what client experiences are. Then on the flip side, you've got how do law firms want to run their teams, their companies, their businesses? Do they like, you know, living and working at home? And I think, you know, it's going to be a flavor of what we're going to see more broadly in the workplace, which I know a lot of folks don't want to hear, but the movement I'm seeing is very hybrid. We're going to have environments where folks want the option to put on actual clothes, emerge in the public sphere, get a coffee, and then head into work two days a week, maybe three, maybe one. And the most competitive employers in general are going to be the places that allow folks to have that flexibility. At the same time, if you know they want to go work in Maine uh, remote for a month and want to you know spend some time with family out there, like they're going to want to have that flexibility as well. And the challenge to them will be to make sure that they remain productive, right? Don't go and kind of be on a vacation if you're promising to work from somewhere. I think that's what's come leaps and bounds is when we started the pandemic, everyone was really bad at working from home because they hadn't done it before. (laughs) But over the course of a year and a half, I think people have gotten a lot better and have found a groove that maybe they don't want to do all the time, but that they could think about doing when they need to as part of rounding out uh, how they want to live their lifestyle more and more often. On the topic of local though, especially as it relates to even things like winning in the search game online and local listings, I think it's still going to be a presence for us. Like, I don't think we're fully cutting over to, I'm in, you know, currently me, I'm in Vancouver, Canada. My first impulse isn't going to be like for a personal legal need, for example, to go and find someone who's in Ontario and and talk to them. Still feels kind of, I'm speaking more from personal experience, but there's going to be at least a semi-local poll and if that person is is based and focused on serving clients here, but happens to be, you know, two hours out of the city and we're on Zoom, like that works, but there's still a bit of a nexus to location depending on the practice area. A really, really cool counterexample, again, that predates the pandemic is a company called Notarize. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or followed what they're up to, but they are doing some really interesting work in the notary space, in particular working with law firms that need documents notarized, but also with obviously a various types of commercial enterprises. If we think about companies like construction companies who need to get notarized documents for property related stuff all the time, they've shifted to a model where you can meet with them remotely and it can be an actual notary license to practice in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I believe, which was one of the first places to allow folks to notarize documents remotely. And they've gone a bit more aggressive in sponsoring that model where, yeah, you, to your point, Conrad, can get a notary in, I don't know, Arkansas somewhere, but who's licensed in Virginia and can help you 
uh, with a document that you're a notarization that you need. So seeing some evidence of that, I think it'll work more in transactional spaces and less in uh, environments where people want access to human empathy uh, and advice. Yeah, that's a long no, answer, but I got a lot. No, of that was really on this. good. There's, no, a, lot, I think that's there's right. a lot to unpack in this area. No, I'm I'm with I I think that you know it's going to be practice area specific and definitely is going to trend towards you know, the local thing. Proximity matters for certain practice areas. It really does. We see it in conversion rates on ad campaigns. Yeah, uh, people want that person that's familiar with their local market. I mean, you even see a silly one is even like the area code on a phone number mm-hmm. can make a difference in whether or not someone will even call a lawyer. So um, I think it's, yeah, I think there's some context where. It, you're, we're going to expand the uh, radius, but in many, it's still local. Seth Godin has a great post about this idea of clusters, and um, yep. it's it really is true. And those affinity groups, those community groups that you participate in, whether it's like youth sports or local schools, stuff like that, it's still extremely local. Um, so I want to tease that out because there's two flavors of local. Tease it out. Tease. <laughs> I want to be a tease. No, I, there's two flavors of local. There is the I'm very active in your community. Mm-hmm. I coach Little League, I'm a church regent, I organize a 5K, or I go to restaurants. Or like That has nothing to do with the practice of law. The other flavor of this is I know the judges, my office is near the courthouse, everyone knows who I am in the legal industry. Right. Do you, either of you have a perspective... On well, you better not advertise that you have a relationship with the judges because you're going to be in ethical hot water really fast. The judges know who I am. <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. <laughs> the good thing is Guy keeps me uh, out of ethics jail. No, I don't. Despite my best efforts. <laughs> that's, that's what someone who keeps you out of ethics jail would say, by the way. Is, right. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. What, okay. wait, do you have a question there for us, Conrad? Here's my question. Do you have a perspective... On the consumer side, do they care about the fact that you are a little league coach or that you're understanding, I'll I'll word this more carefully, your understanding of the local legal market is deeper? Well, let's talk about, and I'll let George, I'll say a quick one. Let's talk about the local little league coach. They might not care that you're a little league coach, but guess what? That's how they know, like, and trust you, Mm -hmm. right? That's the thing. So it might not have anything to do with your ability to practice, but in the consumer's mind, the proximity, there's a, something psychologically about, hey, you've got the same area code I do, right? But you're familiar with my community. But anyway, George, what do you got to say on that? I feel like I've given a lot of it depends answers, which can be so annoying. But no, that's like, good. Really? That, should, that demonstrates we, we your We never do that here. Yes. <laughs> I, I, it's just like, you know, I feel like within the subsegments, at least, of what it depends on, I feel like I do have some opinions. Uh, so I'll, I'll default to those. So there is, I think, a community and a customer type to serve in legal that is very much word of mouth referral driven. Like when they search to go and find a firm, the only thing they're going to do is ask their friends and family or close personal connections for a referral. And obviously they're always going to look to who knows who and and the little league. And I think it's for every practitioner and firm to decide, is that my audience? Is that who is the ideal client profile for me? And if that's the case, then yeah, like it's important for me to be active in front of them in that way. Then you're going to get different crowds that are like, I'm looking for the best person available anywhere to do a thing. I just, I want the, or, or it's a really niche area of expertise. And so there's like five people who could do this period. And like, it's almost like a, a, 
a bad thing to be the referral from the local little league. Like, does this person really know at a world-class yeah. level and in the big leagues, like, you know, uh, and so on. And, and obviously those are extreme opposite ends of the spectrum and there's everything in between. But I just, I feel like that's gonna matter and depend a lot on who you're trying to talk to. And that a lot of the time firms I work with haven't really specifically, the who I wanna talk to is anybody who could use my services, not like a specific subset of people out there that I wanna be really the best at getting in front of. And, uh, you know, like uh, that's, that to me is, is going to vary a lot based on practice area, based on, on market and frankly, based on the demographics of the profile, the folks that you really want to work with the most big time. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So you've been very generous with your time, so I don't want to uh, <laughs> keep us uh, too long, but two quick follow-ups. One is, is I think this, uh, teased out something for using Conrad's tease there. It may be interesting to see in legal trends report data segmented by practice area because there is yep. such a, it depends there on, on these different practices. So the final question is, now we already asked you to prognosticate a bit, but now we're going to ask you to look way out there. Five to 10 <laughs> years, what do lawyers need to know about what's happening in the legal industry? Your opinion, chatter, just pure guesses. Where are we going? I think we're going into a way more data-driven profession. And the big, big thing we're going to see is both information and sources of data that are available to lawyers and law firms. But the big, big one for me is clients have been operating in a black box for a long time. They don't know how the system works. They don't know how to get access to information. And I see a world developing where in the information era that we live in, that is catching up to us in legal, it's going to get there in the next five, 10 years, big time. And it's going to change the dynamic of lawyers and law firms. First blush of that was client reviews. Remember how much everybody started with and continues to hate client reviews. Yep. That's just the tip of the iceberg in my mind. Clients are gonna be way more informed than ever. They're gonna have tools at their disposal that can give them an estimate on how much a case should cost and then come to you with that. And I, I can already see a lot of really interesting, powerful work that both makes access to justice more accessible, but comes with some you know, uh, really, really meaningful considerations. I've never truly bought into the robot lawyer apocalypse on the flip side, where like in 10 years, we're just punching in data points into a machine and it's telling us our legal outcome versus working with people. My research continues to point me to the fact that humans want to see humans <laughs> and that the trust dynamic is, is better developed there. I think that may be longer, longer term development, but also seems to be less of a thing than actually I want, you know, machines to give me information that I can use to negotiate with other humans, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I see that as a big, big part of where we're headed in the next five to 10 years. And it's uncomfortable, but also I think for the better uh, long haul. George, awesome. Thank you again so much for spending time with us today. I think I heard a couple future uh, Clio products in there in that little uh, um, prognostication. If people want to get a hold of you, how, what's the best way to connect with George? For sure, uh, at George Saharis on Twitter. Uh, it's, you know, P-S-I-H-A-R-I-S in the last name. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn as well. Uh, those are the, the two I'm most active on. Don't look for me on Instagram. Nowhere to be found there uh, and, and happy to, to keep the conversation going. George, thanks again so much. Thanks for Legal Trends Report and uh, looking forward to the upcoming Clio Cloud Conference uh, this October. That's right. All right. So thanks again and have a great day. Thanks for having me, guys. You too. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode and hopefully following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcast, Podcast, Podcast. Please do leave a rating or review or send us feedback. Hit up the hashtag LHLM on Twitter. We want to hear from you. 
Tell a friend if you enjoyed this or tell a friend that this is the worst podcast you ever heard and let them be the judge. But thank you truly for listening. And until next time, this is Conrad and Gee out for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.